You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Wow, good morning. I might need a minute to get over that song. (laughs) So glad to be back in South Bay. Thank you. I was in town uh, in Orange County for the teachers' conference, which was awesome. And uh, so I made the mistake of letting Steve and Jackie know I was in town. So they're like, hey, why don't you come and do the lesson? Um, That'll teach me for being open, right? No, but I really appreciate the chance to be able to see so many of you, to be able to, you know, share things, and uh, uh, hopefully your, your response is not like Andy Wengie when, when I came in. He's like, what are you doing here? So, <laughs> yeah. He knows how to get you right here, doesn't he? And uh, welcome to those who are watching on Zoom. Don't change your channel. Yes, it is South Bay Church. It is Dave Atkins, so I'm a guest here, so... You're, 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 you know, you're seeing the right thing, uh, but it is uh, awesome to be here, and uh, I really appreciate the worship team. You know, we have a, a great team in Phoenix, but they're not South Bay, so uh, be very grateful for the talent that God has put in your midst, and uh, uh, just, uh, you know, we live in Phoenix now, and uh, one of the reasons is going to be on the screen right there. I got a, you know, grand grandfather's privilege so look at that little guy that's our newest grandchild Henry and then the next one is Avery and I think there's a there's one with the next one's me and Avery watching uh, TV together and uh, and then the last one is Ryan and little Henry Uh, so those are the reasons that we're, we moved to Phoenix. And the last one there, Ryan and little Henry and his wife, they literally yesterday moved to Phoenix. And uh, so they were in Orange County, they're disciples in Orange County, so now they're, and they actually live, and I timed it, it's a four minute, 29 second walk from our house. And Ryan and Virginia and Avery only live about a 12 minute drive from us. And uh, so we, we love being there. Uh, it's great to be part of the Phoenix Church. Uh, you know, they've got a lot going on, a lot of transition, which is awesome. And, um, uh, but, um, but I know you guys are going through the EHS and, uh, program, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying that. And if you're having a hard time with it, you can blame Mary and I. You, you can blame us, because we went through it not long after we moved to Phoenix, and uh, we, were, we got a lot out of it, so we were sharing with Steve and Jackie, and they said, well, we, we, should, we, we might do that with South Bay. So if you know, you're having a hard time, you can blame us. Blame me. After all, I live in Phoenix, so, you know, <laughs> go ahead and blame me. But, you know, the whole premise of the EHS program, in my mind, was the idea that if we're really going to grow spiritually, which I know all of us as disciples want to do that, right? We want to grow spiritually. We want to... Get closer to God. Get closer to one another. But it really, a big part of growing spiritually is growing emotionally. Is a growing, being emotionally mature and and handling our emotions. And, you know, depending on what type of person you are, that can be a challenge. You know, I'm a person that 
is not really in touch with my emotions. So that's one side of the coin where, you know, I, 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 I've heard it on good authority that I do have emotions. Uh, I just, you know, it's more of an intellectual thing as most to a heart thing. And then there's some people who are all emotion, right? So, you know, they are on the other spectrum where they got to learn to rein in the emotion. So um, we won't point any of those people out. Um, but both can be a, a hindrance to us really growing emotionally and thereby growing spiritually. So uh, my topic for this week is the, uh, the chapter five in the book, which is enlarge your soul through grief and loss. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Nothing like, welcome back, let's have a lesson about grief and loss. Um, but you know, the truth is, when we were going through this, this chapter, more than any other one in the book, helped me. And that I resonated with, of all the chapters, this one really stood out to me the most, and I'll share about that a little bit. So my plan this morning is, since I'm just a guest speaker, so, you know, I've got a few scriptures. I'm not going to go deep into the scripturals and all this kind of stuff. I'm basically going to share from my life, share about how, you know, the grief and loss has impacted me, how I've learned about myself, how I've learned closer to God. So hopefully that's okay if I just share a few stories about me. And again, if not, then I mention I live in Phoenix. So <laughs> when I first started reading this book, you know, the, the first chapter I remember, it, it talked a lot about getting to know your authentic self, what you're really like deep down. And, uh, you know, not who you want others to see you as, or not how you may present yourself, or not the person that you think you should be, or not even the person that other people look at you and think you are, but who are you deep down? Who is the real, authentic you? You know, and so that was rolling around, and so as I thought about that, as I started reading this book and the different chapters, I became uncomfortable with that. It was... I, I, in fact, I would start to think about it and I would stop thinking about it because it bothered me. It bothered me when I thought about who I really was deep down. And it made me realize I had a very negative view of myself. I, I didn't like myself. When I really started to break down who I really was deep down, I, I didn't like that person. Um, I thought that, you know, a lot of the things that I do that are good, I do because I think I should do, not really because I want to do. Have you ever been there? Like, I, you know, I know the right thing to do, so yes, I'm going to do it. But man, if I had my other, if I had my druthers, I wouldn't be, I'd do something else. You know, and I, and then, you know, I would think, man, what I, you know, I just really would like to be alone, be reading my books. That's what I would really like to do, but I need to do all those stuff. And then, you know, I feel guilty about that. Well, like, well, you know, what kind of person are you, you know? You just want to be by yourself. That's selfish. That's not Christ-like. So then I'd feel guilty. So that would also help reinforce the negative view of myself. So, you know, Dave's authentic self is not a pretty picture. <laughs> uh, and so all this was going around in my head in the first few weeks of me reading this book. And it sort of came to a head when we were on the week reading about this chapter of grief and loss. And... Uh, and so I had what I like to call kind of a uh, mini emotional breakdown. A mini one. I didn't need to be institutionalized, thank the Lord. Uh, but I had, a, I had a bit of a breakdown emotionally. And it came about 
uh, we, w we were, Mary and I were having dinner with this couple. We were sort of talking about the EHS and stuff like that. And, and on our drive back home, I started telling Mary about some of these things that I had been thinking about in my mind about my authentic self and how, how bad I felt about it. And I just sort of, you know, unloaded and just kind of shared all these raw emotions. And uh, I didn't do a really good job uh, of it. And, uh, you know, so kind of, you know, what sort of came out was I, you know, I, I didn't like myself. I hated myself deep down. I was only happy. I'm only happy when I'm alone, when I'm reading. So then Mary's like, oh, so you're not happy when you're with me. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said. Yeah. Did I mention I'm not good with emotions? So, yeah, this is what you always have in Arizona, a water bottle. The point is, I was feeling a lot of stuff deep down that I wasn't in touch with. You remember that, I think that the, one of the early chapters, that illustration of the iceberg where there's so much underneath yeah. and we're only aware of a little bit. That was me. You know, I had a lot of emotion that was starting to come out that I didn't know where it was coming from that I wasn't in touch with. And I realized as I went through this that there was a lot of grief and loss in a way that I was dealing with deep down that I wasn't aware of. And that was kind of where these emotions were coming from. You know, if you look over in Job chapter 1, Job is an example of a guy who definitely experienced some loss and had some grief, right? So let's read a little bit here in Job chapter 1. It says, one day, starting at verse 13, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put them, they put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came. And said, the fire of the Lord fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one that has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So in a few short verses, Job loses all of his wealth in the form of his oxen, his camels, his sheep, all of his servants, then he loses his children and his family all within a few short time, a very short period of time. And if you go a little bit further, he also loses his health because he's stricken with sores and things like that. So Job had to deal with not just one type of loss, but a bunch of types of loss in a very short period of time. So it wasn't just one thing, it was several things. You know, in the book, in this chapter that, we're, that you'll read, or I don't know if you've already read it or going to read it, um, it, it makes a point that we experience a lot of different kinds of grief and a lot of different kinds of loss. 
And it says that, you know, here, you know, for Job, it all happened in a short period of time. But really, all of us at some point throughout our whole life is going to go through these types of loss. We're going to lose family members. We're going to lose jobs. We're going to lose possessions. We're going to lose our health. We're going to lose our youthfulness. Uh, we're going to maybe even lose some of the dreams that we had for things we wanted to do in our life. Uh, we're going to lose, at times, our routine and our stability if we go through transition. All these different types of loss we're going to experience at different times in our life. For Job, it happened all at once. For us, it hopefully will be a little more spread out. But the point is, is that all of these types of loss and grief bring emotions that we have to learn to deal with. See, for me, when I thought about reading this chapter and I thought about grief and loss... I thought about, okay, when, you, when someone dies in your family, okay? That's what it's talking about. You know, that's the first thing I thought of. And I did have that happen recently. In December of 2020, my father passed away from COVID. And uh, so he was the last one of Mary and I's parents. So Mary and I, both of our parents are now deceased. We're the, we're the oldest generation in our family. But, you know, my dad uh, went into the hospital with COVID on a Tuesday and died on Sunday five days later because he had had some, you know, existing things so he wasn't in that good of a health anyway so it went quickly. And it was a challenging time, you know, we actually at the time Mary and I were in Idaho visiting her sister so we couldn't go to the hospital anyway but we couldn't go and see him and it was even more challenging was I hadn't seen him for a while because, you know, with the whole COVID thing I hadn't gone and visited because I didn't want to, you know, he was in his 80s, you know what I'm saying? So... So I talked to him on the phone and different things like that, but, but when he passed away, I, what was hard for me was I don't really remember the exact day when I last saw him in person because it had because of COVID, we hadn't been it. So, you know, that was challenging. And so I had experienced that loss, but I, but I don't really think that was what was leading up to my emotional breakdown. Because what I learned from the EHS was that, like I was saying, there's a whole list of things that qualify as grief and loss besides just losing someone. And as, you know, Mary and I talked through my little breakdown, and we talked about more things, we realized, and we looked at things in the book and the chapter, that a lot of these different little things that can be qualified as loss, we were going through at the time, in a short amount of time. We had moved to a whole new city in the summer when it's hot. <laughs> Not a little hot, very hot. We were part of a, a new church family. We, we bought a new house. We, we actually bought a house in a 55 and plus neighborhood. And, you know, having met a few of my neighbors, let me just say, it's heavy on the plus side, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we, went, we have like a rec center. We went to, to, went to an event there. So we were there for a little bit, and we come out, and I go, what do you think, Mary? She goes, these people are old. <laughs> I, I go, yes, you know, very old, you know. And, um, and it was, we should have known, because when we were getting our home loan, the, our, our, our loan guy goes, oh, yeah, that's the kind of neighborhood when you, you move in, but you don't move out unless you're in an ambulance. I'm like, okay. So, talk about grief and loss. We're in the, yeah, anyway. But we love our house. We love our neighborhood. It's nice and quiet. You know, we don't have to worry about fireworks or anything crazy, you know. Um, no, but, but we really love it. 
And we also had to meet a whole new set of people. You know, the only people we knew in Phoenix were Ryan and Virginia, our son and daughter-in-law. And we also had some good friends, Ryan and Melissa Jones, uh, who are in the ministry in Phoenix, but they lived like 45 minutes away. And so we didn't know that many people. And so, you know, as we're, as we're, we're starting to get to know new people in our group, our little, you know, whatever, the, the close to us in our neighborhood, you know, and there's some great brothers there, but just for me, they're very different from me, different personalities. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and I'm the type of person that, you know, it takes a while to, for me to get comfortable with people, you know, and to feel like, you know, I get to know them, you know, it takes a little bit of time. And so this was all new, you know, and, and on top of all that, guess what? We're going through the EHS where we're supposed to talk about deep emotions <laughs> and deep things in our past. And I'm supposed to do this with men and women that I don't really know. And so I realized I was going through loss of relationships. You know, I was feeling that because, you know, if I, I didn't have, you know, like Steve and Andy and Calvin and Dan Rowley and other guys that knew me, that I, that I trusted, that I trusted with my heart and things like that. I, you know, I was trying to be as open as I could, but it was just, you know what I'm saying? It was just challenging because I didn't really know anybody that well. So, uh, so I, you know, that's why I had a mini breakdown. You know, you can kind of understand. So I'm not totally crazy. Uh, but it was good for me. It was good for me to go through that. You know, and, in, and Mary and I, we talked with the Joneses who, who've known me for a long time. And they helped me, you know, understand some of these things that we went through a lot of change. And this is what the book is talking about, a lot of grief and loss and all this kind of stuff. And so they helped me work through that. It helped, you know, it helped Mary understand where I was coming from. So it helped our relationship because, you know, I had, you know, hurt her with different things that I shared. So, uh, you know, I learned through the whole thing about, I, I, you know, I've got to look at myself the way God looks at me. You know, and that's what Mary shared. He goes, you look at yourself that way, but God doesn't look at you that way. you got to understand how God looks at you and accept that. You know, I learned about, you know, I've got to, it's not so much about who I am, it's whose I am, that I am with Jesus, and that's who I need to do. And so it's helped me in my walk with God where if I start to feel anxious about myself or whatever it is, I go to God and say, God, help me. Help me feel better. Help me trust in you. Help me look at the way you do. My point in sharing all this is that grief and loss is not confined to just losing someone to death. The catastrophic loss. That's definitely a loss. And, you know, maybe many of you may be feeling that with the pandemic and things like that. But there's a lot of other areas that you may be feeling emotional, maybe, maybe things like that, that are because of loss that are not because of someone that died. And you may not be aware of it. And that's where I was at. You know, you may be feeling a loss because, you know, the things in your life are not working out like you thought they were. You had all these plans and and circumstances or whatever, you know, it's just, I'm just not where I thought I would be. And you can be feeling that. Or you're feeling the way things were before COVID. Like, man, I just wish <laughs> we could go back and, and, you know, go back two years or whatever it is. You're feeling that loss of that. You know, or maybe you're having a hard time adjusting to the new normal, whatever that is. And just feeling, you know, just, and these, all these things can bring emotions that you're either in, aware of or not aware of. 
Maybe you're feeling, you know, more and more isolated from people because of the way it is. And, and now we're getting back together, which is great. But, you know, sometimes with me, I'm like, the, the truth is I kind of like being alone. So, okay, now i got to readjust to being around people, you know. Um, I'm just being open, you know. So, you know, some, some of the isolation wasn't, it was harder for others than for me. So there's a lot of different types of change and loss that affect us on an emotional level, and we're not always aware of it. And that's where I was at. And the truth is, like I said, we're going to go through a lot of these different things through our life. We're going to go through a lot of different types of loss, different things we're going to go through through our life. And we have to learn how to handle the emotions that it brings to us when we feel those things. We have to learn how to handle them in a mature way. We have to learn to grow emotionally so that we can grow spiritually when we go through these things. So how do we do that? How do we handle emotions that are caused by grief and loss? Well, I want to look at Jesus because as in all things, Jesus is our example. Amen? Amen. He can teach us how to handle grief and loss. So in Matthew 26, we're going to look at a couple passages in his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a lot to learn here, but I'm just going to focus on a couple, couple things. So the first thing in verse uh, chapter Matthew 26, verse 36, it says Jesus is going to teach us that we need to come before God uninhibited. Starting in verse 36, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. <clears throat> and he said to them, Sit here with me while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch from me. Going a little farther, he fell down with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, take this, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So, you know, the background here, we, we, Jesus was going through a lot. He was feeling a lot of things. He knew that he was going to face the hardest trial of his life. He was going to go through torture, et cetera, et cetera, and be on the cross. And he was struggling. You know, so he goes to this place and he, and he, and he prays for strength. And he wants his, his brothers around him, his closest friends. Because he was struggling. And as I read this, I've read this many times, but I thought, you know, he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And I, and I thought, this may have been really the first time in Jesus's life on earth where his human will was different than God's will. I think probably all through, he, I'm sure he went through hardships, but I got a feeling that, you know, for most of his life on earth, he's like, you know, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But now he was at a point where God, I don't want to do this. This is going to be hard. I, I knew it was coming, <laughs> but it's going to be hard. Is there another way? And it, it may have caused him sorrow to be like, you know, man, I, I wish... I wish I was totally with God on this, but my human part of my nature 
wants a different way. You know, C.S. Lewis said, we should bring to God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Think about that for a minute. He wants us, I'll read that again. We should bring to God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. You know, at this time, Jesus was bringing to God what was really in him, not what ought to have been him. You know, he probably thought what ought to be in me is God is going to be tough and I'm just do your will. I'm ready to go. But that's not where Jesus was at that time. And we can be the same way. We can be, have a hard time being honest with what we are really going through, what we're really feeling. And we may say, well, I ought to be this way. <laughs> and we can kind of tell, let people know, this is what I, you know, this is what it is. But we don't want to, we want to project what we ought to be feeling instead of what we really feel. Why is that? Well, I'll just talk about myself. I'm like that sometimes. Why am I like that? Because I want people to feel like, you know, they can look at me and, I, and I've got it all together, even though I really don't. You know, I, I feel like I should project what I ought to be projecting, regardless of how I feel inside. In other words, I'm prideful. <laughs> That's what that comes down to. And even if nobody finds out, I know for myself that if I'm feeling that way, I shouldn't be feeling this way, and it makes me even feel more bad about myself. But I have to be honest. This is how I'm feeling, and it's, it's not good. But, that's, but that's, that's what it is. That's what I have to be honest. It's hard for me to do that sometimes. And a lot of times, it's just easier to stuff it and hope they go away. It's worked before, right? <laughs> hey, how many of us have... Hey, I'm just not going to think about that. I'm going to stuff it. That works good for me. Yes and no, right? Because we know that eventually, sort of like my mini breakdown, it come, emotions have a way to come back and haunt you and come back and get you. So what I see in this passage is I see Jesus not caring about what his closest friends would think of him. He didn't think about the fact that <clears throat> he was their teacher. That he was a man who a few months before had stopped the wind and the waves with a word. He wasn't the man who had a few weeks before raised Lazarus from the dead. He, wasn't, he, didn't, want, he didn't worry about the fact that, they, that they, they looked at him and they thought, this is a guy who was transfigured. Who, who, we, who we had a big light on the mountain and, and God said, this is my son. He didn't think about all those things and what they knew about him and he didn't care that they saw him in this point as someone who was struggling. He was honest. He was uninhibited. He wasn't ashamed or didn't care about what people thought. He wanted to be honest with where he was at. So what's the lesson for us? Honesty, right? Don't be afraid to talk about your emotions. Don't be afraid to let people see if you're struggling. You know, it's not a sin to struggle with things because Jesus struggled with things and he never sinned. So it's not a sin to say, I'm having a hard time with this. You know, be open with the things that this book is teaching. You know, it talks about ways to deal with your emotions. It talks about ways to connect with God. Um, you know, the daily offices were awesome about getting close to God and doing those different things. 
You know, and hopefully you're doing those. You know, it talks about, you know, quieting your mind and being still with God. You know, and, and those daily offices talk about you start off with what? Two minutes of silence. You know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you try to do it, that's a long time. <laughs> you know? And, you know, in our group, we had a, that was like one of the consistent things was, I'm having a hard time quieting my mind for two minutes. Because that's just how we are, right? But the more we practice that and the more we do that, it'll be easier and it will help us get closer to God and help us connect with God. Second thing in this passage is Jesus teaches us the gift of limitations. So look in verse 40. It says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. You know, we have limitations. We don't like to admit it, but as humans, we have limitations. There are things that we can only go so far. We can only do so much. And there's, and there's a lot of different areas, right? We have physical limitations. You know, especially of us, those of us that are getting older can realize we, we can't do what we used to, right? I mean, Thursday nights, Ryan plays on a softball team. So Mary and I have been going to watch the games. Yes, even when he's 30-some-year-old, we still go to our kids' games. Um, amen. But, you know, a, a few weeks ago, we got there a little bit late, and one of the, one of the other guys, son, or one of the one other players' dads, son at our age, was, you know, filling in because they didn't have enough people. So he was, like, sort of playing catcher, you know, which is not that hard to do. You know, and so I'm like, man, I wish I could have been there. I could get in there. And Mary's like... You are not playing softball. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, she was like, the law, like, you are not getting out there. I'm like, you're right. Because <laughs> I have limitations. I guarantee you, if I had gotten out there, I would have pulled something, broke something, strained something, and been in bed for a week because I have physical limitations. Much as I hate to admit it. We have limits to our intelligence. We don't know everything. Yeah. We don't know everything. That's why we have Google. We have limitations in our time. We only have so much time to do stuff. We have limitations in money. We only have so much money. You know, very few people have all the money they need. I, don't, I can't relate to that. Um, we can only work so much. Our relationships have limitations. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's always going to be things we have to work on. Right. Or friendships. We're, we're not, there's no a perfect relationship. There's always going to be things we've got to work, always limitations. We have limitations on our spiritual understanding. You know, God has shown us a lot of truths, but we can't and never will come even close to knowing everything there is to know about God because we are limited. So we have to come to grips with that. We have to realize that. But I said he, it, but we have to see our limitations as a gift. Why do I say that? Because it keeps us humble. And because it shows us how much we need God. When we realize how many limits we have, it shows us how awesome God is and how much we need God in our life. We need to realize that God is in control. We're not the center of the universe. 
God is. And when we really come to grips with that and really think about that, it will deepen and change our relationship to God in amazing ways. You know, in this passage, Jesus felt his limitations in his human nature. But he knew that what was most important was not his human nature, it was God's will. And so he made himself subject to that. So I want to share a little bit, another story from my life about my limitations, where I came in sort of face-to-face with those and what I learned from it. You know, I wanted to say before I, before I start sharing this that, you know, grief and loss are different for everybody. You know, and, and how you handle it, well, how, how one person handles it is different than the other person, and neither way is right, wrong, whatever. It's, it's individual. And so I want to share, you know, some grief in my life and how I, and how I uh, you know, things I learned and, and thought about but, but I don't want to come and tell you that this is how you should do it because you're not me and I'm not you. So I want, I want to go in with that. So, you know, as many of you know, my first wife, Suzanne, died in 1993. She was 32 years old. We had two sons, Ryan, the one that just moved to Phoenix, the redhead, uh, with little Henry. He was two years old when she died. Sean was nine months old when she died and she uh, it was in the summer she had a lot of back pain and we go to the hospital and come to find out she had cancer very aggressive time she went into the hospital I don't know the exact days but she went in and a month exactly to the day that when she was admitted she died so it was when one within one month she she went uh, she passed away but I want to share about the night she died so my allergies may get me, so I'm ready, you know, so. <laughs> but I remember the night she passed away. It was late at night. We were in the hospital, obviously. Uh, Palomar, Palomar General Hospital in Escondido, California. You know, and during the day, people had come and visited and, you know, said hi, whatever. Uh, but as the day went on, and as the evening went on, everybody had left. And there was just her sister and I in the room with her. And at that point, they had done everything they could. There was, you know, no response from the cancer. It was uh, very aggressive. And at this point, for the last week or so, they had just been giving her medication to keep her comfortable. And she was really on such a high dose of medication that she really wasn't conscious or wasn't really aware, you know. She was just, you know, alive. And so... Her sister and I were just sitting by the bed waiting and watching her breathe. And, you know, I, I think I, when I first got in there, I think I squeezed her hand. I think I remember her squeezing my hand. So, you know, she knew I was there, but we couldn't, you know, talk or anything. But, you know, I remember sitting there listening to her breathe. And her breath, her breathing was labored. And you could hear her body struggling to breathe. It was kind of like, you know, you could hear. Just that whole thing. And so I would like watch her chest and wait for her to exhale and then wait for it to inhale again. And I just watched that process again and again. And it was surreal because we're just, we didn't, her sister and I weren't talking. We were just sitting there 
watching her chest rise and fall, listen to her breathe. And after a while, it, you know, it, was, it got to where her sister just, it was too much, so she left. And so then it was just me and Suzanne in the room. And it was just me listening to her breathe. I wanted to leave because it was tough. You're sitting there waiting for her to die. I mean, that just, you know, what are you supposed to do with that? You know, it's weird. Um, but I knew that I felt like she would want me there, so I, I didn't leave. I just stayed there. And I don't know how long I was there by myself, just listening to her breathing, watching her chest. And then after a while, I remember she exhaled, and then she didn't inhale again. It, her, it stopped. And so I waited a few minutes, see if it would start up again. And, but she didn't. So then I, I got up, and you know I heard somewhere, you know, I got a little mirror and put it in front of her lips. I don't know if that's medically necessary or whatever, but to see if they'd fog up. But, you know, I wasn't a doctor, so. And there was no fog in there, so that she's, she's, she's gone. And so I cried a little bit, prayed a little bit, and then I went to get the doctors and the nurses. You know, and so as I thought about that night in the months that followed, and the, the whole experience, you know, what I thought about was my limitations in that situation. If I could have taken her place, I would have. Like that. I mean, back then I thought, you know, her boy's need mother. Father, mother, they need a mother, you know? <laughs> but I couldn't do that. I was limited. If I could have healed her, I would have. But I was limited. I would have done anything in my power to make it turn out differently, but I couldn't. I was limited. You know, I was her husband. I was supposed to protect her, but I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. Because there were limits on what I could do. It was not within my power. I was powerless. And yet when I, in the weeks and months that followed, as I thought about all that and processed all that, it brought me closer to God. Because I thought, as I thought about it, I realized, you know, God, know, God knew exactly how I felt sitting in that hospital room. He knew exactly what my emotions were. He knew what it was like to stand by and watch someone die, someone that you love die. He knew what it was like to watch someone struggle for breath for three hours on the cross. He watched Jesus struggle to breathe on the cross for three hours until he died. So he knows what it's like to watch someone you love die that way. And he loved Jesus way more than I could ever love Suzanne. So realizing that, I felt a shared connection with God that we had the same emotions to some degree of doing that. He knew what I was feeling, and so that brought me closer to God. Like, he knows what I'm going through. It's not like intellectually, whatever I understand. It's like he knows the emotions 
Because he probably felt similar when he was allowing his son to die on the cross. But even more powerful than that, than that shared connection, was the realization that unlike me, God was not powerless. He had no limitations on him. He could, have, he could do anything he wanted to. He could stop that in a minute. I couldn't. I was limited. God is not limited in any way, shape, or form. And yet, he allowed himself to be limited in that situation and let Jesus die. And why? There's only, and this is what really transformed my relationship with God forever, when I realized that only one reason why God limited himself in that situation, because he knew that if he didn't, I would never have a chance to be saved. If God stepped in after the first hour, said, I can't take this anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't take Jesus not being able to breathe. We're done. I'm taking him away. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to let him go through this anymore. If he had done that, I wouldn't have a chance to be saved. And neither would you. God limited himself so that we could be saved. And that's the only reason, to my mind, that he did that. Because of his love for us. Would I have done the same thing if I was in God's place? No, probably not. But God did. So when I say, when you come to face with your limitations, with the things that you can't do, allow that to draw you close to God. Don't blame him. Don't distance yourself from him. He loves you more than you'll ever understand. And even though your emotions may make you feel something different, and it's okay to be honest, but, you know, God can handle it. But your limitations can bring you closer to God. And like I said, grief and loss is different for everybody. So I just am sharing my personal experience, my personal journey. And, you know, so I want you to understand that. Um, but I will plead with you, if you're going through something challenging like that, trust God. He is a good God. And he is good all the time. And I want to emphasize that. He is good all the time. He's good when things are going well, and he's good when things are going challenging. He was a good God even when he was allowing Jesus to die on the cross. He was still a good God. And he is always going to be a good God. And I can't stress that enough about awesome God is. And I came to understand that even more and more through what I went through. And that's why I say that with such strong language. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. That God is good in every situation. So we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. I want to read one more passage in Philippians 2, a familiar passage. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So with this theme of limitations, again, we see Jesus, who was God, decide to limit himself to put his divineness in a human body with all the limitations that came with that. He chose to limit himself to a human nature subject to temptations, subject to trials, subject to fatigue, subject to pain and agony. He chose to limit himself so that we could be saved when he died on the cross. Amen? Amen. So I want you to think about that, meditate on that, about how good God is and how both God and Jesus limited themselves when they didn't have to for our sakes. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time right now to um, think about your love for us, Think about how you chose to put limits on yourself when you didn't need to so that we could have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins. And as we take this bread and this juice right now, which represent your body and the blood of Jesus, I just pray that we'll be so grateful and so humble that you loved us enough to allow your son to go through what he did and to allow yourself to go through what you must have been feeling watching Jesus die on the cross. I'm so grateful that you did that so that I can have a relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that impacts us right now as we take the Lord's Supper. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.